Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and macabre murders from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 92. 92 and we're back. We're it's back. It's been so long. It's a Christmas miracle. It <laughs> is. Christmas Eve. It is Christmas Eve, good sir. Ah, we are back. We are back from our Christmas break. Thank you to everyone who bore with us, who was still here. Yes, well done. If you're still listening, then I'm very grateful. <laughs> we have got a treat in store for you today, for it is our Christmas special. Now, can we possibly top the drunken hilarity that was last year? Oh, that- oh, you just, <laughs> you just wait, you just wait, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to interrupt now. For it is Christmas, it deserves a Christmassy beverage to start off with. Immediately, immediately, an immediate <laughs> Christmas beverage. To start the episode, so we're going to have a beverage. Pause no, now. We need to start the episode with an actual beverage. Absolutely, and we've never had a beverage this early. I think. I know. I haven't even got to the bits where I ask you how you are and no, about poisoning and all of that. that. No. no. So to start our Christmas Eve spectacular, what are we having? Well, you have to wait and see, won't you? Oh, is it a surprise? I've got to go and get it first. Okay. All right then. Well, I think it's time for Nick <laughs> to dash like Dasher and Prancer and Rudolph and the other reindeers and all in- those other ones to the poisoner's cabinet kitchen to shake up a storm for the first time so we'll see you in a bit <laughs> see you in a bit And we're back. Hello, for the first time. So if you listen to last year's Christmas episode, you know that we kind of go live with this stuff. It's on the fly. This is the first Christmas episode we've done together because last year we were in lockdown. Oh, yeah, that's true. We were separated. But Nick has dashed into the kitchen, as I said, like the proverbial reindeer, <laughs> and come out with, is it bloody eggnog? It's bloody eggnog. It's eggnog. <laughs> My first time I've ever had or in fact made eggnog. Oh my gosh. So I've been asking people, should we be having eggnog? I've never had eggnog. Have you ever had an eggnog? No, never have. The the Christmassiest of drinks and we've never tried it. And I was a bit disturbed because Nick closed the door to the kitchen and I could just hear something grating furiously. I'm really excited. So do we we taste first? Yeah, absolutely. Just, just give it a and go. And then you're going to give us a secret, secret recipe. I'm, I'm okay. terrified and intrigued. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Okay, well, yeah. cheers. cheers. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I like that. That's not entirely unpleasant. That is my cup of tea. Oh, yeah, I see why that's popular. 
<laughs> it's not sophisticated. God damn tasty. Do I detect a hint of nutmeg, Nick? A, a sprinkling of nutmeg. <laughs> so what is in eggnog? Well, eggs. Just eggs. And nog. <laughs> Mixed together vigorously. <laughs> I have great... This is not nutmeg, this is nog. Oh, nog. Nog I in the grated, nog. I've grated a nog. They are found in the forest. Yes. Now, this is a recipe that was posted on the Instagram by Kate Can Do History. So thank you very much for recommending this recipe because that's what I went with. So eggs, whole eggs, double cream, milk, cognac, Grand Marnier, bourbon, spices. (laughs) I I made this yesterday. It was a long time ago. This this is the Colonel's secret spices. Yes, secret secret spices (laughs) all blended up together. Oh, my gosh. Into a blended drink. That is Lovely! Yeah, so, I'm into eggnog, people. Yeah, so, I'm worried about the rest of whatever else we're drinking well, today. Who knows? Because this could this curdle. I don't know, but I mean, a little sip, another one. Oh, it smells of Christmas. It does. It is very Christmassy, yeah. and it's not as heavy as I thought it was going to be. You know, it's like a Bailey's. It's like a you know. Well, it is a pretty much velvety it's a drink. version on a flip, really, isn't it? And we've oh. had which is basically a drink with a whole egg and spirits that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So this is just a pimped up version of that really um <laughs> with with christmasy spices and stuff i love that eggnog is a pimped up version of the flip <laughs> there it is on pimp my ride yep. <laughs> driving around on a low rider yeah, yeah i'm christmas those, in a glass all those spices and <laughs> wonderful recipe as well but yeah well done thank you so much kate this is so moving on to the next bit of the podcast. It will, as we have our drinks in hand. How are you, Nick? I'm very well. <laughs> Even better with a glass of eggnog in hand. There's going to be Christmas soon, so that's already fun. Obviously, everyone around the world is having Christmas a little differently this, well, this year. True. It's not as savage as last year. Last year, because of where we are in the UK, we had full-on lockdown. We couldn't see each other. We couldn't do anything. We were confined to our homes. We had to record in secret. This year, we have a, we have restrictions. Obviously, Omicron, per CIA, is prevalent. So wherever you are, we hope you're being safe. We hope you're okay. And if you are alone, if you had to isolate because of the virus, it's most important for you to be safe. But we hope that we can bring you some joy today. So, But just eat, drink and be merry. But you're full of the Christmas spirit. That's yes. wonderful. Well, speaking of being in the Christmas spirit and being eternally alone inside, let's thank our wonderful, wonderful Patreon subscribers. Indeed we should, and there are a great many this week. People have flocked to the Patreon, so thank you, you darlings. Um, so the first of all, we must thank um, Heather Hill. Christine A. Weedow. Uh, Leah Maskey. Victoria McPhee. Steph. Heidi Sleeman. Uh, Stephanie D. Elliot Rivers. Ian Shrivers. Christy. K.D. Anderson. And Laura Filch. Thank you. You are so, so sexy, all of you. Thank you for joining us on Patreon. We hope you're having a lovely time out there. A good one this week. It was a, it was a thinker. Yes, this week we did an unsolved murder in Ireland, a very famous one that's been the subject of documentaries that have been out this year. And it actually, it had its 25th anniversary, this case, this week. So it just coincided beautifully. And if you haven't joined us on Patreon, come over in the festive period. It's a great way to escape your family. Well, Nick. Yes. Are you ready? Hmm. To drink cocktails and talk about poison. I already have my cocktail. Or we could drink poison and talk about cocktails for no, Christmas. It's no, no, it's not Christmassy enough, I feel, poison. No, 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 no. Yay, okay, we'll go with the first one. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Well, before, though, we get into the whole cocktail business, Nick, would you like some Christmas facts? 
Oh, this this is unexpected. You know I love a little Christmas fact. You do, fact. I love, oh, tell me, tell me your Christmas facts. Last year I talked a lot about what the medieval Christmassy celebrations were. A little bit meld into the modern, but I, I went very medieval last okay. year. Would this you like true. to know a little bit about what the Victorians did? I would be delighted. Oh, good. Tell me. So the real start of the Christmas traditions that we know and love in England in particular, and then filtered through to the America... Uh, started in the Victorian era. It did. So the tradition of having a Christmas tree in your house was from Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. That's true, because he was he, German. He was German, and the Germans had Christmas trees in the house. And there was an article in a magazine, not so much a newspaper, sort of a magazine at the time, where there was a sketch of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert with their beautiful tree, and everyone went, I want one of those. Yes. So went out cutting down oaks and sycamores and everything, <laughs> dragging it into the house and going, look, it's so pretty. At the time, the tradition of Christmas lights on your tree, again, shows people did not really do their research so much in England. <laughs> you did have to use candles because you didn't have lights. Base, yes. yes, and they went, let's put candles all over the tree, resulting in many, many fires. Many, many deaths at many Christmas. Many deaths and fires <laughs> at Christmas because people went, it's so beautiful and magical. Let's go to bed and just not deal with this at all. <laughs> this flaming bush in the corner. Um, also, the introduction of Christmas cards. This is true. Another again, Victorian invention. Yeah, and again from Queen Victoria, uh, started sending out Christmas cards and all mm-hmm. the little children went, I, I want to do that too. <laughs> yeah. Christmas crackers, 1848, was thought as a really good way to sell sweets. And it worked. First it was about sweets, but then it became tiny, tiny screwdrivers and protractors <laughs> in the Victorian era, obviously. <laughs> they were huge screwdrivers at the time. It was Oh God, crackers were very, very dangerous back then. Uh, the gifts that were given were food and sweet things, usually, and you would adorn the tree with them. So, yes. you know, you've got kind of candy canes or... <laughs> and the Victorian era was the start of feasting and the turkey. The turkey being served or the goose. A plump goose. Is all Dickens' fault. If you've read A Christmas Carol, you'll know the pain of that, that it took about four <laughs> pages to describe that fucking Christmas table layout. <laughs> Sitting in school going, Dickens, you're very, very good at conjuring a scene, but this is too much. It's getting a bit carried away now. But it's, yeah, that abundance and that Man. feasting made everyone go, oh, that's the spirit of Christmas. There shall be all sorts of things. And again, if you're a bit poor, then you're like, oh, no, I want to be able to have that opulence. That's the spirit of Christmas. Being rich and buying things like no one else can afford. <laughs> so there you go. There are my little Victorian Christmas facts. How delightful. Oh, everybody is happy now, I'm sure, knowing where all of the gluttony came from. <laughs> but we do have a story to tell today, don't we, Nick? We do. It's a, it's a story. I don't know if anyone knows it. Oh. I, I think I think some people may have possibly heard about it in passing, potentially. Yeah, it's a little bit of an obscure one, so it hopefully is. you'll go with us, guys. But we'll come back to that, because as we've established, we can't, we can't, we can't possibly tell a story without a cocktail in hand. As you know, dear listeners, every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell and will flavour our cocktail of the week. So, big story, big episode. Yeah. Our secret ingredient this week, Nick, was... Whitechapel. <gasps> Whitechapel itself. Mm, yes, indeed. Quite the inspiration. I'm slightly worried about the flavours that Victorian Whitechapel might <laughs> conjure up. Yes, terrifying, but Whitechapel itself, the inspiration. Yeah. What have you come up with? Well, a London calling. <gasps> I love that. 
London calling. London forget calling. the clash. Forget, forget the clash. Forget the clash. <laughs> That's the only thing that comes into my mind when I say that. Um, <laughs> forget the eighties. London is but calling London you. London is calling to the foggy streets of Whitechapel. Exactly. Yes. Let's go with that. Put that in your mind, people. Oh, London calling. I yeah. like that. I am excited. Also, well, very Eurovision as well, isn't it? Oh my God, it is. Hello, this is London calling. Well, I think it's time again for us to go into the poisonous cabinet kitchen and shake up a storm. So we'll see you in a minute. Yes, we shall. And we're back. Hello. So Nick, is London calling? London is calling indeed. Oh, it's a nice citrusy looking drink. That's the mm. only thing I can describe it as. Yes. Nice. Okay, so a uh, little sniff. Let's give it a go. Oh, it's, it smells, it smells citrusy. Dive in. Merry Christmas, Merry Nick. Merry Christmas. Ooh. Meh. No, I don't mind that. Oh, it's fine. I, there's nothing special. It had a really nice citrusy start. Then it kind of came away into nothingness. It's a bit bleh. It's fine. It's fine. I'm quite happy with that yeah. after the eggnog, to be fair. <laughs> it's it's cutting through the, the richness of the eggnog. Yes. I was worried that you were going to give something really bold and ballsy and I'd be like, I can't, my taste buds can't cope. I don't know. But no, I'm quite happy with that right no, now. This is, this is a highly curated cocktail playlist we've got going on. So I'm liking this right now. Yeah. I think this is a very good interim it's, it's, drink. It's fine. Talk us through it. We have a base of gin. Uh, we have lemon, as you have suggested. We have a bit of sugar. We have some sherry in there sherry a Christmassy twang that is very Christmassy um, and a dash of orange bitters I like that I mean I think it's it's perfectly fine it's nothing spectacular no but it's it's a perfectly pleasant drink I like that yeah, I like good. that it is a good steady drink Nick is it time for a story it is indeed time for a story I wonder what our story what could, could it possibly be what, what could, could it possibly be well there is I feel there is no use pretending any longer because <laughs> if people haven't guessed from the this week's secret ingredient what's going on you will probably know from the title of the episode so at long 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 last we are telling the story of Jack the Ripper da, da, da. we've been putting it off waiting for the right time and for some reason Christmas Eve is the right time for Jack the Ripper <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's go for it for one of the most famous killers in all of history well i do have a christmasy jack the ripper quote when ready okay fine we've got something to look forward to yes and it's wonderful but <laughs> let's start with the goddamn facts Nick. right indeed well over the past couple of years we have discovered that a great many of the people we have covered are or have been suspects for the ripper murders some of these are plausible ish some of them entirely fanciful so we're going to take a little look back at some of these people we have covered and introduce a whole host of new suspects as well. And I have no doubt that, that by the end of this, Sinead and I will have categorically identified one of the most infamous unknown killers of all time. It's going to happen. It's, we, we will have solved the mystery of Jack the Ripper in the next hour. And most of you are going, that's not going to happen. <laughs> tiny, tiny bit of your brain for a split second went, I bet you they could. Oh yeah, we could do it. We could do yeah, it. Yeah, we could do it. So everyone knows a little bit about the Jack the Ripper murders. We are not going to spend too much time detailing the crimes. There are many, 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 many books, films, podcasts, documentaries, comics, all sorts of things. There are. There are many giving huge details about the crimes. And more recently, there has been a shift to a focus on the victims um, as well, telling the stories of the women who have become known as the Canonical Five. Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly. So, Victorian London. If you're poor, it is not a fun place to be. 
It uh, isn't? It's not, it's not a jolly time if you have no cash. There are no top hats and, and, and charming <laughs> kids just selling your chestnuts. And there, are, there are plenty of that okay. if you have the money to pay for it. Oh. In the mid-19th century, people are flooding into London from all over the world. Thousands of people who are coming from Ireland because of the famine. We have Jewish refugees who have come in from Russia and Eastern Europe, uh, escaping the pogroms. Population has exploded. These people arrive with nothing, and in a time well before the welfare state... They crammed into any space they could find. Today, the district of Whitechapel has a population of around 15,000 people. In 1888, the population was over 80,000 people. Oh, bloody hell. And this is a very small area. It really is. You're looking is. like perhaps five or six streets. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. So it's not a big district, really, at I all. Think any tourist who comes to London going, let us see the streets of Whitechapel, expecting probably in their head a combination of some slums and St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah, no. It's not. It's a tiny, tiny area it's in the one east end main, of London. one main road and a few side streets off it. That's Whitechapel. Before you move into Spitalfields and Bow and Limehouse and all the other areas that make up the east end. Aye. So it's not a big place. Crime and violence are incredibly commonplace. And the crippling poverty that everyone endured in the area drove many, many women to prostitution just to survive. It is estimated that in 1888 there are 62 brothels and around 1,200 women working as prostitutes in Whitechapel alone. That is, and as we said, it's not a big place. That is saturating the market and I literally and figuratively... Yeah. <laughs> That's like every other house. That seems a lot. It does seem an awful lot. And whether this was a figure from the Metropolitan Police, so whether it was them sort of slightly over-egging, but that's the number they came out with anyway. They just looked down the street and went, I think there's about 17 million brothels (laughs) down there. That's it, shut it down. It all looks dreadful. (laughs) It's not a pretty place Mm. at all. On Friday the 31st of August, 1888, at 3.40am, the body of Mary Ann Nichols is discovered in Bucks Row. Her face is bruised, her throat has been cut by two deep slashes, uh, one of which went all the way down to the bone. Her stomach has been cut open and her bowels exposed, um, and they later, in a post-mortem, find two stab wounds to her vagina. The violence and the fury of the attack is shocking, but unfortunately not overly uncommon Mm. um, in the East End. And the resulting investigation is somewhat less than thorough. Hazards of the job. Hazards of the job, indeed. As they would say. There's not a huge amount of concern that's going on here. One week later, though, on Saturday the 8th of September, the body of Annie Chapman is discovered in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street. Like Mary Ann, her throat has been severed by two deep cuts and her abdomen cut open. A section of the flesh from her stomach had been placed on her left shoulder and another section of skin and flesh plus her small intestines had been arranged above her right shoulder in a strangely grotesque manner. The subsequent autopsy also reveals that Chapman's uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina have been surgically removed. Now, after now two nearly identical murders, the police are starting to pay a bit more attention, Mm. um, thinking that there's something going awry here. At the inquest into Chapman's murder, a witness describes having seen Chapman standing outside 29 Hanbury Street at about half five that morning, and she was in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deer stalker and a dark overcoat. He was of a a shabby, genteel appearance, she said. The man had asked Chapman a question. Will you? He had said. To which Chapman had replied, yes. That was all the conversation she heard. The police took that to the nth degree, again assuming that Annie Chapman was involved in some sort of prostitution Mm. and had been propositioned by this client. She was accepting his terms. So basically, she was asking for it. 
these two murders so close to each other had been picked up on now by the papers as well. Because murder in Whitechapel is not uncommon. It's not at uncommon, the time. but too but so the, violent. The manner in which they were killed and the strange arrangement yes. ain't so normal. Ain't so normal, absolutely. So this a, has certainly been picked up on. A stab and run, horrible as it is, not uncommon. Yep. Arranging a body like that, okay. In a slightly ritualistic potential vibe it's a bit it's it's very weird it's very that's unusual mm. so the papers are going to pick up on that and obviously we know that the tabloid press are nothing but reasonable and understated in their reporting of many crimes so in no time the public have been whipped up into a terrified frenzy now by mid-september the public are getting more and more frustrated that the police have not got anywhere there with their investigations and they actually decide to take things into their own hands and the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee is established. Um, <laughs> it is a very grand and pompous name for a group of vigilantes, really, who will roam the streets of Whitechapel um, hunting for the Ripper. I'm, I'm sensing they didn't do a good job, knowing they where do. this story is going. <laughs> yes. They were like, yes, vigilantes, you have to bring your own sack of knobs, your doorknobs with it. No, it's what do you what 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 did they think? What did they do? Did they do anything? Well, they sort of patrolled the streets, um, <laughs> hoping to de- de- to sort of deter, oh, hoping um, to run into Jack the Ripper, further attacks, hoping to yet yeah, catch someone in the act. Yeah, um, not successfully. I mean, if you seem. are a murderer, you are going to clock the roaming band of vigilantes and probably commit your crimes two streets over. Well, whoever Jack was, they absolutely did just that on the twenty seventh of September. A letter is received at the Central News Agency. Dear boss, <laughs> I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about Leather Apron gave me real fits. I'm Ooh. down on whores and I shan't be ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and I want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. The next job I shall do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers, just for jolly. Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck, yours truly. Jack the Ripper. Now, initially, this letter is considered a hoax by everyone who sees it. But two days later, on the 30th of September, Jack the Ripper strikes again. Twice. In the infamous double event. The double event. Mm. Topic of much debate, this Well, one. indeed. Indeed it is. And you'll soon see why. Elizabeth Stride's body is discovered in the early morning of the 30th in Dutfield's yard. The cause of death is a single six-inch incision across her neck. Now, unlike the murders of Marianne Nichols and Annie Chapman, there are no further mutilations to her body, leaving questions as to whether Stride's murder really was committed by the Ripper, or whether in fact it was and he had been interrupted during his attack and can continue his, his work, or it was someone else entirely different. Several witnesses later informed police that they had seen Elizabeth in the in the company of a man in the early hours of the 30th, but each give differing descriptions. Some said that her companion was fair, others say he was dark, some that he was shabbily <laughs> dressed, others that he was really well dressed. So 
No one's entirely sure. He was with a man. No one knows what he looked like. Could be a beggar, could be the fucking king. Who knows? Well, this is um, the time, of course, where they've been reporting Jack the Ripper or, or there was a murderer on the loose in Whitechapel. So when he was, anyone you speak to, go, oh, I saw him there. Ten yeah. feet tall he was, chocolate hair, red. <laughs> there he was. No, he was a midget. He was walking around. Oh, he seemed a bit weird. He was like blonde, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He had a limp. He had one eye. He had seven eyes. Yeah. Is that, uh, probably the description varied on depending on which, ma- which magazine they had read that morning and, as to what Jack the Ripper was supposedly looked like. And again, how much money you paid because people yes. are saying, like, do you want a witness statement? They say, oh, well, I saw something. Give me a few coins. And then true. they'll tell you whatever you want. Now, less than an hour after the discovery of Elizabeth Stride's body, the body of Catherine Eddowes is found in the corner of Mitre Square. Oh, yes. Uh, Sinead's very excited about this one for some reason so her throat is severed from ear to ear her abdomen ripped open by long deep jagged wounds her intestines placed over her right shoulder a section of intestine placed between her body and her left arm so some of it is cut out and sort of put under her arm the left kidney and most of Edo's uterus has also been removed and her face has been completely disfigured her nose cut off um, her cheeks slashed um, her eyelids cut open and part of her right ear had been cut away now this this right ear clue led police to believe that the dear boss letter that they had received was in fact genuine until now he had been convinced it was a hoax um but the writer had said he would clip the lady's ear off and that seems to be exactly what he had done they were in communication with jack the ripper a trail of blood led the police to a doorway nearby where they found a piece of catherine eddowes bloody apron on the floor and a message written in chalk on the wall reading the jews are not the men to be blamed for nothing and the message seemed to imply that a Jew was responsible for the murders. And fearing that this graffiti would incite violence towards the Jewish community in Whitechapel, the head of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Charles Warren, ordered it to be washed off before it could be seen by anyone. I will have notes on that. <laughs> so I have comments about this man. I have <laughs> notes. The day after the murder of Stride and Eddowes, another note is received by the Central News Agency. In what has become known as the Saucy Jack Postcard, the Ripper takes credit for the double murder, and it is he who in fact calls it the double event. Later on, on the 15th of October, George Husk, um, the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. Oh, yes. um, That delightful group of vigilantes. He's uh, been brilliant, He's been great. He's been desperately effective. Yep. um, But he receives a package with the return address from hell. I wonder what's in the package. (laughs) And at this point, I have paused to make another cocktail. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. You can't leave us on tenderhooks now. What's in the goddamn package, Nick? (laughs) You'll have to find out. Something from hell? With another cocktail. Oh, what if it's a fluffy bunny? Fluffy bunny from hell. Fluffy bunny from hell. <laughs> that's actually terrifying. That's, that's, that's worse. Sound, that that's terrifying. That's worse. <laughs> some sort of like, Here's bunny. some lovely notepads and... This is well time because we've just finished that oh, Well, exactly. It was all desperately planned out. So what is our next cocktail? Well, the next cocktail we're going to have is what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? What the hell? What Which the I'm sure hell? When he said it when he received the package. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is this? He anyway, said. it's from hell. What? You're in my mind. <laughs> okay. What the hell? I'm I'm worried now. Yeah. Well, as we pause oh, on tenterhooks for the rest of the story. Oh my god, it's so good. We have to dash into the poisonous cabinet kitchen and yet again shake up a storm for Christmas. So we'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute. And we're back. Hello again. With another cocktail from hell. From hell indeed. Well, what the hell, Nick? What, what the hell? What the hell 
is this? Well, it looks quite nice. Yeah. It looks golden. Golden. Golden in its hue. Pretty. Looks can be deceiving. Indeed. So this is a what the hell. I'm expecting a reaction. I, I want a reaction from this now. Yeah. But let us dive in with the third cocktail of the day. Let's give it a go. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas again. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. That has more of a reaction than the other one. It has more of a reaction. Okay, I don't know what's happening. Mm. <laughs> it's not as violent as some other cocktails we've had. Yeah. I'm mm. not, not a fan. You're not? No. Nah. I don't mind it. It's all right. There's, there's, I, know, I know what's in it, and there's too much of one ingredient. Ah. It's got elderflower in it, hasn't it? Nope. Fuck. <laughs> Such confidence there. <laughs> well, in that case, I don't know. Okay, so we have, again, London cocktail needs gin. So we have gin. Yeah. We have dry vermouth. Yeah. We have lime. Yeah. We have sugar. Yeah. We have apricot brandy. Wait. It's the apricot okay. brandy, which I think you're mistaking for the elderflower, which there's too much. I think it needs to drop down on that, and it might be all right. Well, more for you then. It's fine. Yeah, that's right. So, Anyway, yeah. back to Jack. Back to Jack. Yay. And a delightful, delightful package that dear Mr. George Lusk has oh just God. received. Oh, my God. Yay. Mr. Lusk, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. <laughs> the other piece I fried and ate. <laughs> it was very nice. <laughs> Sorry, I knew it was coming. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out. If only you wait a while longer. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Catch me when you can. Also, you, you just go, it was very nice. It was very nice. It's, very nice. <laughs> it's literally how you have cocktails. That's the thing. Read, read Dear Boss letters in a slightly different voice. And they're very, very funny. Mr. Lusk was not happy about receiving such a letter. I wouldn't um, be either. Yeah, I mean, he he and his gangs of vigilantes have been out there for, for weeks now, searching down this man to no avail, and now, he, now he's been taunted in his own home. I mean, it's a massive F.U. Yeah, him. absolutely. He has proclaimed himself to be the head of vigilantes, he's going to hunt down Jack the Ripper, but it's probably a human kidney that absolutely. he's been sent. This person is not pulling any punches. No, indeed. Now, the final victim from the Canonical Five was Mary Jane Kelly. She's discovered on the 9th of November, lying on the bed in the single room that she lived in 13 Miller's Court. Her face has been so heavily mutilated that it is almost impossible to identify her. Uh, Her throat has been severed down to the spine. Her abdomen almost emptied, pretty much, of its internal organs. Her uterus, kidneys, one breast placed beneath her head. Her heart is missing entirely. Now, there are many other victims that some people ascribe to Jack the Ripper. Martha Tabram, Emma Elizabeth Smith, Rose Mylard, Anna McKenzie, Francis Coles, and the unknown victim, who became known as the Pynchon Street Torso, who we have covered previously. But authorities remain convinced that only Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly were the victims of the Ripper. And all the others are unrelated or even copycats. In 1894, Sir Melville McNatton, the Assistant Chief Constable of the Metropolitan Police and the head of the Criminal Investigation Department, wrote that the Whitechapel murderer had five victims and five victims only. Detectives interviewed over 2,000 people. 300 people were investigated and 80 were detained over the months, but not a single arrest was made. So who was the Whitechapel murderer? Who was Jack the Ripper? Now, I do know Sinead has some possible suspects up her sleeves. Possibly. She maybe has one or two people that she's going to tell us about. <laughs> Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping 
And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So a wonderful <laughs> summary of Jack the Ripper's victims. We urge you to read about them, to read the five, the, the, the recent book about them, and to, and to learn about the victims because these were innocent women did not deserve to be murdered. No one deserves to no be murdered. No one deserves to be murdered. <laughs> no one deserves to be murdered, but the the rhetoric around their deaths at the time of them being prostitutes no. seemed to imply that they had brought this on horror themselves, on themselves, yes. and it is not Nonsense. true. Jack the Ripper, for all of his mystery, for all of the fascination around him, was a murderer, was a serial-killing fuckhead, quite frankly. As the technical description goes. It is the technical description. But we are going to cover off some of the suspects because who the hell who was, was Jack the Ripper? So many elements of this story have passed into folklore. So many people and ripperologists. Over the years, there have been people who have obtained, in adverted commas, I'll say, <laughs> evidence. To them, they have attained the evidence yes. and they have come up with new theories that have been literally, and I'm not even kidding, turned into film and TV even before they've been written about books mm. and turned into an actual theory about them. The subject of some of the great graphic novels of our time, great films, numerous books out there. So there's so much source material on Jack. We couldn't possibly cover it all in one episode. But the suspects are many, many, <laughs> many Ripper suspects over the years. More than 100 have been named, have been seriously credited as Jack the Ripper suspects. You can pick them apart at any point. 
Everyone has a favourite. Some of you out there might have favourites too. You might Very have favourite elements of this story. And if you want us to talk about it a bit more in detail, if you want us to cover some of your favourite suspects, if you'd like to hear our spin on any elements of this crime, do get in touch because we will consider doing an extra Patreon episode on Jack the Ripper. But for now, we are going to cover some of the favourite suspects of ours of Jack the Ripper. So as it's Christmas, Nick, I did want to read you something I found. Found this on a Jack the Ripper tour website. This is a Jack the Ripper tour that you can imagine. There are many, many in London. And they have a piece about Christmas with Jack the Ripper. Nice. Fun times. So this was printed in the Western Morning News on the 27th of December, 1888. So they pondered how Jack the Ripper might have spent his Christmas... Nice. (laughs) This is but a few lines. Jack the Ripper did not spend his Christmas following the pleasures of using the knife. Translation, he did fuck all. This was, however, a dire dread that he would gratify his thirst for blood by dispatching another person in Whitechapel. But it was with a sense of relief that one found that he had spent his Christmas in a civilised manner. (laughs) That is, so he, had, he had a civilised Christmas. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, that is padding really in is, every sense it? of the word as a journalist going, what is Jack the Ripper maybe doing at Christmas? Well, he hasn't killed anyone. He's probably spent Christmas in a quite a civilised way. So let's all picture Jack the Ripper just cosied up in front of the fire with a good book and a sherry. That is someone desperate on Boxing Day for an article for the next day, isn't it? Going, Very I, much oh, God, so. I need, I've got this little column that I need to fill. So come on. So as we said, we're going to cover some of our favourite suspects in the Jack the Ripper cases. We've had some mad suspects on the show. (laughs) Surprisingly, even from the early episodes of The Poisonous Cabinet, whoever we encountered was purported to be a Ripper suspect for very tenuous reasons. We've had the likes of Lizzie Halliday, who was a lady in America. Quite a few people talk about, was Jack the Ripper a woman? Was Jack the Ripper potentially a midwife? Uh, Yes, indeed. That's a big one that's come up. It's a big one. The basis of it, not so much in actual fact or evidence, but the idea that whoever committed these crimes had some degree of surgical knowledge to the point where they could dissect in such a clean manner they identified all of the organs. And a gentleman would never have done such a thing. Oh, a gentleman never would have done such a thing. An Englishman would not do such a thing. So there's lots of ideas that was a midwife perhaps exacting some sort of terrible punishment on prostitutes, not founded in any fact or evidence. But they did attribute this to Lizzie Halliday, who we have covered. They just assumed when she was convicted, because she was a woman, she'd killed lots of people. She could be Jack the Ripper. Absolutely. Yes, she definitely sailed across the Atlantic and back, killed a bunch of people without being seen and never commented on, <laughs> and then came back and then was arrested in America. Absolutely fine. Entirely possible. Indeed. Another crazy, crazy version. People still kind of go, oh, oh this is, well, I'll say this again, whatever. So another famous suspect was Thomas Neil Cream. Yes. Very famous serial killer. Yes, the poisoner indeed. The poisoner of episode 11 that we covered. Quite a change of tack if he's now ripping people. Absolutely. The thing that made people think, oh, is he Jack the Ripper? Were his famous last words. As he was on the scaffold, he apparently said, I am Jack, and then was cut off. 
when the rope stretched. Mm. So were people thinking that he was saying, I am Jack the Ripper? It was a last confession. I mean, people will jump on anything. Oh, yes. You know, more likely he was going, I am ejaculating. (laughs) No, it's genuine. This is genuine. It's not that he was ejaculating in the sense that we know is that he is just spouting words, that he was just going, I'm ejaculating. I thought he said he wasn't saying that. No, he he was trying to say, I'm ejaculating. He was saying, I'm ejaculating. Some people said, no, but it wasn't used in the same way that it is now. Really? Well, why would he say, I am Jack? Well. Unless he's just going, screw it, I'm Jack yeah, the Ripper. Yeah, why the hell not? A bit, bit more notoriety. He was an American who did come to London, murdered at least five prostitutes with poisoned beer. He was in America in jail at the time of all the killings. That is problematic. Yes. That's what what you call an alibi, I feel. Yes. But don't let the facts get in the way of a good (laughs) suspect story, Nick. No, no, no. The Ripperologist would have you believe, certain ones, certain ones, we love some of you, that his sentence was served by a lookalike. Okay. Purely so he could travel over to London and kill Um, a bunch of people, then come back and then finish his sentence. I mean, it's 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 possible. It's a theory. Well, should we put that in the maybe pile? <laughs> Very much in the maybe pile. Yes, disputed by his lawyers, his family, and um, him. But one of the other big suspects in Jack the Ripper is George. Chapman. Yes, now that is a name that is very familiar. It is very familiar, for he was covered way back when, Nick, in one of our earliest episodes, episode six, I believe it was. Mm. George Chapman, he was Polish, was a serial killer, known as the Borough Poisoner. So back in his home country, he had trained as a surgeon. So ticks the box. Ticks the box there. Ticks the box, the idea that whoever killed the five had surgical knowledge. But he came to London in either 1887... Yeah. Or 1888, mm. he would end up living in the East End. Yeah. He moved back and forth from America over his lifetime. But when he was in London, he was a, a, a surgeon barber, ended up as a pub landlord. But over his time in England, also in Poland, he had several lovers, wives, people, multiple, multiple marriages and uh, multiple lovers was violent was violent was a was a horrible horrible man threatening the people he was with saying that he would cut their heads off and he would do terrible things to them he started killing his women so killing singing dancing cutting hair killing singing dancing. it was just a big cycle in the 1890s and 1800 in the 1900s and when he was caught it was inspector abeline oh the most famous detective involved in the Jack the Ripper case. This is many years later, who came up to the officer who arrested him and said, congratulations, you have caught Jack the Ripper at last. Abilene himself was obsessed with George Chapman, saying that he just rang so many bells in his head. He was convinced that the timelines matched up. There were so many similarities he thought that George Chapman was the killer. The coincidences were too much. So he thought that George Chapman was the man that they were after. Apparently, when living in the East End of London as well at the time of the killings, Chapman would go out in the night for hours on end, unaccounted for, according to his wife slash girlfriend at the time. He wasn't an official wife. He matched the description that was given of the last man seen with Mary Jane Kelly. When he left for the USA, the killing stopped. I mean, that's fairly damning 
evidence there really isn't it so george chapman i won't say his polish name because i can't pronounce it right now (laughs) but we have covered it again Mm -hmm. in a previous episode and all of his killings that was a fascinating case his is the strongest of actual genuine evidence rather than just surmising around it he fits the description of a man who murdered another girl in 1902 a man who stabbed a prostitute and tried to cut out her uterus during their encounter so there's a lot of other circumstantial stuff that links yeah it to him the stumbling block was that people have not been able to get over and they couldn't at the time maybe this day and age they could was that he was caught george chapman was hanged for poisoning women it is quite a leap isn't it because obviously jack the ripper is so so violent so frenzied it would seem Mm. in his attack to go from a a poisoning to a vicious knife crime is a massive leap. The reports in George Chapman's case are that he was violent. He spoke violently. He spoke about terrible trauma he would inflict on the women he was with. So would George Chapman change his MO as a serial killer from poisoning women to mutilating them? Mm. Is it that he started mutilating women and he got too much press attention which maybe he liked but then he thought oh you know what i'll change the poisoning is he that sophisticated is he that intelligent to be able to do that because it's commented on many times that serial killers don't change yeah. their modus operandi so i can almost see it going the other way in that sort of starting to poison people realizing you can get away with it and then getting slightly more violent mm. in a sort of progression but almost going from a knife to poisoning almost in a bizarre way it feels like going backwards mm. and so i i can't see that doesn't seem to compute in my head that you're going i've spent time slashing up people and cutting their organs out yeah and now i'm going to stop doing that and i'm going to poison them in a subtle and surreptitious way seems a bit unless yeah. he's a criminal mastermind unless well that is true unless he is an absolute criminal genius um the lights of which we have never seen before that's the thing that's the thing if you want to pin it on george chapman then you have to go with does not fit the mo is a completely unique case yeah so nick do you have any other as you know there are as you said there are many 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 different suspects and a few of them which are quite sad suspects Hmm. um who who are suspects in nothing but sort of coincidence really one of those a chap called montague john druitt so druitt but he was one of the favorite suspects of sir melville mcnaughton the the head of the cid (laughs) great name yeah absolutely druitt was his top of the list to be jack the ripper and it seems to be such a bizarre assumption that this druitt would be now druitt was a barrister um, who also worked as an assistant schoolmaster in blackheath in london his body had been dragged from the thames on on December the 31st, 1888, an apparent suicide, which had been committed just a week after the murder of Mary Jane Kelly, the last of the canonical five. Now, it would seem that this timing is the only thing that really connects Druitt to the Ripper. Is this coincidence that a week later, Druitt decides to, to commit suicide? And this is something that McNaughton grabs hold of in his assumptions of who the Ripper is. Now, it turns out that Druid had been fired from his job as assistant schoolmaster. Some modern authors believe that Druid, in fact, may have been gay, which Mm. was the reason behind his dismissal. And people say that it was that, rather than guilt over five murders, that caused his 
suicide. Even Inspector Abiline um, had dismissed Druid entirely as a serious suspect due to lack of any substantial evidence apart from the timing. He had discovered that Druid had been playing cricket in Dorset on September the 1st, 1888, the right. day after um, the first of the murders. Uh. Um, he was playing cricket in Dorset. So they thought that could have been a tricky sort of thing to, to jump on a train and go and have a nice game of cricket after you've committed your first murder. And no one who plays cricket can be an evil and no, man. Well, exactly. Only a gentleman plays cricket and no gentleman, gentleman could possibly commit such a horrible, oh. horrible murder. But he's still up there in the list of suspects yeah. um, due to Sir Melville. Um, being absolutely certain that Druitt was the one. This is the thing, though, with the Ripper suspects, is that if you were named at any point, mm. people latch onto them. They still stay in the so list. The, the, the pantheon list of, of people. Absolutely, the pantheon of people who were implicated in the Ripper murder. So people can revisit them and go, well, what if, what if someone missed what if? something? Yes. What if someone missed something? Modern Ripperologists are desperate to find out everyone who was implicated because they think that they'll find that, that one little thing. And a Absolutely. lot of it was just a case of, oh, you died or you were in the area at the same sort of time. Must mm. be you. Now, another one that I came across, which I had heard about, thought, ah, that's, that's nonsense, that's utter nonsense. But the more I actually read, I thought, ooh, there, there may be something, there <laughs> okay. may be something okay. in this. Nick's going to crack it. Nick's going to crack it. H.H. Holmes. Oh, fuck off. What? <laughs> no. We, uh, there, had, there is more in, there's more to this than I had initially thought there would be, I have to say. When you say it, I'm thinking, oh, they went, oh, we got H.H. Holmes. He was a bastard. Probably sailed over like Lizzie Halliday, <laughs> Thomas Neal Cream. But yeah. no. Whatever. Well, there, there's that. I'm, I was surprised about what similarities there are there. So, I mean, obviously a name that is almost as famous as Jack the Ripper. Now, it turns out that Holmes has left diaries and they are now in the possession of his great, 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 great grandson. And they have been published and they are there and they have been authenticated as belonging to Holmes. And entries in these diaries confirm that he, in fact, was in London during the time of the Ripper murders. Okay. So he was was around. He he was in London at the time. People were in London. People were in London. People were in London. I was going to say that. But it seems bizarre that two such crazy, (laughs) crazy serial killers were in the same place at the same time. Fair. So that that maybe got me thinking, going, ooh, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was actually in London. I mean, are they they're, they're authentic? Are they authentic? No, apparently, well, apparently so. 100%. So says Google. <laughs> <laughs> so says the interweb. Yeah. That these are legitimate things, and there is evidence that he is not in America at this time. He has travelled elsewhere. But obviously, as as with Chapman, the sort of the characteristics of the murders are very, very, very different. Holmes is a very calm, organised, methodical Mm. murderer. He's generally there for an insurance payout or some sort of profit. Jack is opportunistic, uh, frenzied. Yeah, I will say. And go with me on okay, this. Okay, I'm going. What happens on holiday stays on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> he can was you, trying out some new ideas. Can you imagine, though, H.H. H. Holmes <laughs> has a very methodical process on his home soil. He mm. goes abroad. No one knows me. I'm just going to go crazy. Yeah. I'm just going to go, go crazy. Going to go mad. This there stuff is, I can't do at home. <laughs> there is a tiny bit of it where you go, maybe he just went abroad and went, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know. Um... <laughs> And just went mad. You, you can you can see it happening. He he had medical knowledge. 
Uh, yeah, he, he was did. he was trained pharmacist. He had medical experience. He had medical no, knowledge. No, stop, stop trying to convince me to this because it's not fucking AJ Combs. I, it's, it's not, but it's actually more compelling than you realise. Oh, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that more compelling than some of the other stuff I'm about to say. So, not long after the murder of Marianne Kenny, there is a ship's log only a week later that reveals that a. H. Holmes leaves England for America. See, this is the recurring thing, is that whoever left England, whoever left the territory just after the murders, people think it must be them because they just stopped. According to, if you follow the logic of the five. Yes, absolutely. We have talked about on this show, we've covered other murders, which really seem to stack up with if Jack the Ripper continued. There are a great many names that people think Jack the Ripper didn't just stop. He carried mm. on and on. And eventually he died or he got sent away for something else. Yeah. But he killed a great many other number of people and started before as well. Started well, the at Martha Tabram and things yes, was, was, yes. was before. Way um, before. And and then afterwards, we've talked about, you know, the torso murders we talked about in Westminster and everything. Is that, that seems crazy that that mm. wouldn't have been Jack the Ripper. But the idea is that there were only five. There were, there only, were only five. five. Only five. And I no can understand the police saying that. Yeah. I can understand the authorities saying, don't panic. That's it. Mm. Nothing else happened after this. But then you go and they left at the same time. So it must have been them. So anyone yeah. who was in the vicinity or died or left is the Ripper. So I will counter that okay. with what another delicious delicious family, family of suspects, or, Nick. Or family of them. An entire family of okay. suspects. I'm intrigued. Very famous, very mm, tenuous, is stacked up because of some theories and books later published behind it. We're going to talk about the Maybricks. Nick. Okay. Oh, we've, we've had them before. So we talked about Florence Maybrick on the show. Florence Maybrick, who was convicted of poisoning her husband, James Maybrick. So this was same sort of era, same sort of time frame. Florence Maybrick was a very, very famous case at mm. the time. Controversial, widely thought that Florence was wrongly accused of poisoning her husband and that James had died from overdosing on his favoured medical poisonings. Um, he, he took poisons. well he did he took strychnine he took all sorts of those poisons nice that were, up. Florence helped him get those he he died she was convicted of his murder she spent her time in jail she protested her innocence she was originally sentenced to death and then she was released but more than a hundred years later claims emerged that James Maybrick was in fact Jack the Ripper based on a diary a diary that was discovered and purportedly written by him that detailed the killings of the five. The diary came into the hands of a man who got it from another man at a pub. I <laughs> want to go to this pub. Yeah, where's this pub? Yeah. The, the, these are labourers and the guy was an, an out-of-work scaffolder and someone else gave him the diary. What pub is it where you can go in and labourers are just handing around historical evidence Yeah. to infamous murder cases? I want to go there. The diary has been through numerous <laughs> tests. 
with a lot of the modern evidence that has emerged, it always comes out is it's not completely determined that yeah. it wasn't a hoax, but this was a fucking hoax, excuse me. <laughs> I'm gonna just go out and say it. Most people believe it's bollocks. There's testing on the ink and the paper that it definitely was a historical document, but not at the time frame that they say it mm. was. And then there's also testimonies that the person who received it said his wife dictated it to him, and then he retracted that and said, No, she didn't. No, she didn't. It's just a bit weird. More interesting, I think, and I didn't find a lot of information on this, a pocket watch that was owned by James Maybrick. He had a pocket watch. There was a there was a pocket watch, let's just say. J Maybrick. Also the initials of the five. And the words I am Jack. That's a bold sort of thing to have engraved on a watch. Doesn't that sound a bit weird? Yeah. But tests that have been done on that watch say that while they cannot prove conclusively that it was from that time they they, there have been people who've studied it the way the engravings and the brass Mm. and everything the way you scratch it into it be very hard to fake it's interesting so that's james maybrick but the maybrick story leads into another element of this another suspect emerged from this case and forms part of the bigger conspiracy theory. <laughs> oh, we love a conspiracy. Around Jack. The Ripper was being protected and even directed by the Freemasons. <laughs> da, of course. Da, da. <laughs> They're all over it. So the idea that the Freemasons are involved in the Ripper murders, in the Ripper cover-up, in inverted commas, mm. is a very, very commonly held belief. And it's something that is permeated into modern society beyond the fascination that people have or the Ripperologists have with this case. But where we come back to the Maybricks is that this hinges on a book that the famous film director, Bruce Robinson, wrote. He wrote a book called They All Love Jack, and in it he points the finger firmly at James Maybrick's brother, Michael, as the real culprit. Now, in this book, Bruce Robinson goes hammer and tongs at the idea that Freemasons were involved in covering up the real identity of Jack Mm. the Ripper. And I'm going to build on this later. Uh But the conspiracy theorists leap on the Ripper case with gusto. It beggars belief that such a horrific murderer could have escaped justice from the cramped confines of Whitechapel with London's finest detectives on the case, unless there was some circle of protection around the killer. Mm. The idea that Jack the Ripper was a Freemason or was protected by the Freemasons has been embraced and explored <laughs> by many Ripperologists. It's and a partic- Johnny Depp. He, yeah. he, he was in there. So, yes. <laughs> this will be sending alarm bells off of people going, oh, from hell, from hell, from hell. I will come back to it. Trust me. It's, you know what? It's a fun theory to go with if you're on the outside of Ripper knowledge. If you're listening to this and you're kind of going, I don't, I can't even delve into this. It's the fun side <laughs> of Ripperology. If you're not too concerned about the facts and more about the ooh, ooh conspiracy theories, go with me on this, mm-hmm. bitches. So was Jack the Ripper really Brother Jack? We all know of the Freemasons, I'm sure. Big Boys Members Club allegedly include all members of high-profile, high-society, powerful businessmen, politicians, royalty, allegedly employing all manner of rituals and strange traditions at their lodge meetings, secret handshakes, that sort of thing, initiation ceremonies, as well as ancient rules about, well, being gutted if you break the rules. Freemasons literally run the country in these people's minds. You cannot get past them unless you're one of them. 
So it's common fact that plenty of high-ranking officials at the time of the Jack the Ripper murders would have been in the Masons. So does that mean that Jack was a member of the Masons or was he trying to implicate the Masons in his crimes? So let's go back to the famous graffiti. The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing or the Jews are not the men who will not Mm. be blamed for nothing. There's lots of different interpretations of that. So the spelling of that graffiti has really foxed ripperologists for years. So written on the walls, it's J-U-W-E-S, the Jews. So some people think that is someone who is illiterate. As we talked about, there is a lot of anti-Semitism around Mm. this case. People feel very strongly, so people get very reactive. It's highly likely that someone, unfortunately, was pointing some sort of finger at the Jewish community. The piece of leather apron that was found at the crime scene, some people think it was a leather apron because there was a Jewish man in the community, a man named John Pizer, who was known as Leather Apron. He was a Jew, he was a butcher. They were trying to leave Signifords around the crime scene to implicate a Jewish man. Mm. However, there is a potential nod that the Freemasons' involvement to this case is in that graffiti. The graffiti was removed by the police shortly after it appeared, purportedly to stop anti-Semitic bad feeling being stirred up by the public. But the message could have been a reference that Jack was Jewish or that Jack had written it to the nod to the Jews, or that he was referencing the Freemasons. So one theory is that Jews spelt in that particular way, J-U-W-E-S, is a reference to the three killers of Hibram Abif. Is that the founder of the Masons or something? He's a very prominent figure of the Masons. Mm. And the three killers were Jubela, Jubilo, Jubilem. It's referencing the Freemasons. What brings us back to Michael Maybrick? Bruce Robinson, in his writing, surmises that Michael Maybrick was either Jack the Ripper himself or purportedly set up the debunked Dear Boss letters in order to frame his brother and his sister-in-law to bring them down. This is based on the fact that Michael Maybrick was the grand organist for the Freemasons Grand Lodge at the time. Um, But in this theory that he says that Michael could have been killing these women the way that the women were killed and their organs were arranged around their heads, all those pieces, hark back to Freemason rituals. So why would Jack do that? Either Jack was a Freemason and giving a symbol to anyone who's investigating the case, knowing yeah. that there were Freemasons involved, going, I'm giving oh, you a calling right. card. <laughs> okay. I'm saying, don't, don't, don't. I'm one of you mm. and I'm going to fuck up some shit. Or it's a two fingers up at the Freemasons. You're like, no. I'm the first. I'm like, no, none of that. But why did he arrange all the the organs and the body parts around? It's a very particular way, and some people think it is a nod to ritualistic killings. It's difficult, though. I'm I'm not sure. So if everyone sort of makes the assumption that it's these are arranged sort of, yes, over the left shoulder and over the right shoulder, could it just be that that's where just things were dumped? No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think it was quite particular. I'm, I'm with the, he arranged them in a particular way. I don't necessarily think it was a nod to the Freemasons. I think he did something, but it does hold water, the idea that, well, you know, if I do it in a particular way, it's like the handshake, like, get me off this, Mm. this charge, if you want to believe that. 
If you I, want I to believe that's how powerful. The theory is, is that Michael Maybrick, he happened to be in all the locations at the right time of all of the killings, <laughs> including the later killing that was attributed to Jack the Ripper was a seven-year-old in Bradford, Johnny Gill, which was a horrific murder and the child was arranged in a kind of a ritualistic way. Michael Maybrick was there at the time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced by that one, I must, I must say. All right, what well, are your theories, Nick? Well, the, say we've got, there are a couple, of, I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, but there are a couple of interesting that, d- that deserve a bit of time. Francis Tumblety. What, what, do you know of Francis Tumblety? Francis Tumblety? Yeah. Isn't he a rabbit who lives in the woods? <laughs> He's uh, an American chap huh? um, who has made an absolute fortune in the States, posing as an Indian herb doctor. He is the definition of the word quack. He has been connected to the deaths of one of his patients in Boston, but has managed to escape prosecution and actually flee to London. Now, Tumblety, in his many conversations with with the police um, and with friends, has freely admitted to just generally despising all women. He is is not a fan of the fairer sex. Uh, But he he claims to have a particular, particular hatred for prostitutes. Okay, yeah. And at one time, he actually hosts a dinner party in Washington, at which he displays a collection of preserved female reproductive organs. Oh, Jesus. Boasting, in dinner conversation, that they have come from every class of women. But while in England in 1888, Tumblety is arrested on November the 7th on charges of gross indecency. Now, we don't know what that gross indecency involved. There is some speculation that it might actually be he was engaged in homosexuality. scandalous scandalous but while he's actually awaiting trial he flees to france and from there he returns to the united states now he doesn't get connected with the ripper case until 1913 of course so quite a quite a bit later when chief inspector john litchfield of the metropolitan police actually raises him as a suspect again the evidence is somewhat lacking he was in london at the time of the murders bastards he had an obvious hatred towards women and he has his collection of preserved internal organs to maintain most experts today probably not (laughs) (laughs) it's probably not him one of the reasons was being that his appearance matches none of the eyewitnesses descriptions even Mm. the people who go oh he was tall oh he was short oh he was fair he was dark well that's not him (laughs) (laughs) so so it's like and another thing you see a picture of him and he is he is quite a distinctive character he's Mm. got this massive grey moustache great big bussy moustache and the really pointy hat type thing well that'll make you um, stand out it, well yeah. exactly i mean that was what they said that he is a very conspicuous individual did he put this on before he was photographed oh well i don't know <laughs> so perhaps, it, perhaps like, it was a fancy oh, party he was going to look or something at me, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna be if you if you think i'm committing a crime like <laughs> let me put this on before i take the photograph very conspicuous flamboyant character so people have gone nice. oh if it was him we would we would have seen the moustache coming <laughs> so, <laughs> so he has been generally dismissed as a suspect. Um, now we also have an, another person who who has been me- who is mentioned quite frequently hmm. um, as a suspect for the Ripper, who should probably be in the as bollocks category. Is Charles Ludwig Dolkson. Okay. Are you familiar with Charles Ludwig Dolkson? And it rings a bell. Yeah. Well, as you should, a man who is also known as Lewis <gasps> Carroll. Fuck off! No. <laughs> 
The pen name, yes, Lewis Carroll was his pen name. Original name, Charles Ludwig Dogson. Obviously the author of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I had never connected him with Jack the Ripper. No, I had not either. Until researching this and I thought, ooh, that's intriguing. I knew um, him and Tolkien got drunk in the Eagle in Oxford and that was it. And I was like, well, that's a great way to come up with Before that, he killed many, many killed women. many, many women. <laughs> this entire theory came about in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> a chap called uh, Richard Wallace wrote a book called Jack the Ripper. Um, a light-hearted fiend was the, the title of his book where he names Lewis Carroll and an accomplice of his, a chap called Thomas Bain, as Jack the Ripper. Now... Wallace claims to have discovered many hidden messages within Lewis Carroll's writings that point to him being Jack the Ripper. Did he? Did he? Well, you say did he. Uh, Wallace went to great lengths to rearrange passages, thinking they were anagrams and secret codes, and to pull out specific hints that he was Jack. In one book, he manages to extract a line that he interprets as reading, If I find one street whore, you know what will happen? Twill be off with her head! What? And that's how he, he extrapolates this message from Lewis's Carroll's writing. Another passage that he comes up with, a passage that originally reads, So we went to the cook and we got her to make a saucer full of nice oatmeal porridge. And then we called Dash into the house and we said, Now, Dash, you're going to have your birthday treat. We expected Dash would jump for joy, but he didn't one bit. No. Not what? particularly Jack the Rippery. What? What? That was that was the passage that Lewis Carroll had written. Richard Wallace yeah. reinterpreted this to say, Oh, we, Thomas Bain, Charles Dodgson, coited into the slain nude body, expected <laughs> to taste, devour, enjoy a nice meal of dead whore's uterus. We may do, found it awful, wan and tough like a worn, dirty goat hog. We both threw it out, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> That is genuine. That apparently is genuine. Um, those letters in that original passage can be reconfigured. That's amazing. Um, to create that sentence I'm, I'm, or that my, paragraph. My mind is outblown. <laughs> Every theory that I've had, it's, it's fucking Lewis Carroll now. It's Lewis yes. Carroll. I mean, I have to say it is entirely all bollocks. Don't you just give me the candle and take it away, Nick. <laughs> it is amazing what you can rearrange to suit your own needs, really. Uh, yeah. um, in an article that was... That was written to promote this book's publication. Wallace himself was quoted and had written this excerpt, and an eagle-eyed reader had himself reinterpreted this passage to say, The truth is this. I, Richard Wallace, stabbed and killed and muted Nicole Brown in cold blood, severing her throat with my rusty shiv strokes. I set up Orenthal James Simpson, who is utterly innocent of this murder. (laughs) P.S. I also wrote Shakespeare's sonnets and a lot of Francis Bacon's works too, thus proving that really you can make any anagram you like yes. out of someone's work yes <laughs> it was not lewis carroll <laughs> that's amazing i love it when people find anagrams in work oh yeah absolutely it's and a whole so book good. about this and oh. another thing he said was apparently the ripper cut off the noses of some of his victims because mm. lewis carroll's mother had a large nose that's bollocks <laughs> but it, no this is evidence i uh, think uh, you'll find evi- i think this you'll is, find this it's is, evidence, evidence. That's yeah. very good. Oh, I yeah. like I like the idea that there was people Carol. believe it. People are out there going, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." No, well, it doesn't. The further we delve into conspiracy theories, the more people seem to embrace the story of the Ripper. So let's come to the next suspect. Mm. Prince Albert Victor. It was him. 
Duke of Clarence, son of Edward VII. So described, described by a historian, um, Prince Eddie, Eddie he was called, was certainly dear and good, kind and considerate. He was also backward and utterly listless. He was self-indulgent and not punctual. Oh dear. He had been given no proper education and as a result he was interested in nothing. He was as heedless and aimless as a gleaming goldfish in a crystal bowl. So yeah, not a great indictment of this. Yeah, not great, not good. Prince Albert was involved in a few near-miss scandals, shall Mm. we say, during his life. Which makes people think that there was something going on with Albert that was connected to the Ripper murders. So some people think Albert was the Ripper. They just put it out there. Others think he was involved. So he was implicated in the Cleveland Street scandal. It uncovered a male brothel in London. Such a thing. He was implicated in this scandal, covered up, though, by the royal family. Mm. Reported in in the American press and international press that there had been goings-on there. His name was never completely entered into these press articles, but enough to implicate that all was not well with Albert. Theories about Albert would not be fully brought to the fore until the 1970s, when, as has been alluded to, more ripperologists came to the fore going, here's what happened, I'm pretty confident of what's going on. Writer Dr Thomas Stowell claimed that Albert had syphilis Mm. during the time of the massacres, and he was driven mad, and he had taken to the streets and he had ripped women apart. This was the theory around Albert. And the royal family apparently let him get on with it. Yeah, just go for it. Absolutely fine. Boys will be boys. Until the double murderer. Oh no, that's just too much. That's too much. You... Just getting carried away there. Took him in to a mental asylum. He broke out, killed Mary Kelly, and then went back in, and then he died later on. It was claimed that Albert was gay. Mm. That he had contracted syphilis from some sort of illicit encounter from the various places he'd visited. And that he'd taken to destroy women but the fact is albert wasn't in london at the time of any of these killings there are multiple reports of the royal records of all of his visits he was somewhere else around the country many people will go no they can be forged they can be forged albert was there killing people with his twirly moustache he sent his minions all of these series as we said came out in the 60s and 70s very convenient to sell books (laughs) So we have the theories that Albert is the Ripper. But we also have that Albert is a secondary player in the Ripper killings. And that the killings were done to protect the royal family. The most famous story around the royal family is from Stephen Knight's The Final Solution, which Mm -hmm. was published in the 70s. Yes. In which he alleged the killer was actually Sir William Gull. William Gull. Ian Holm. Ian home in from hell. Okay, so we're up. So this is where we come into the territory where most of you may have learnt about the various Ripper theories from the fantastic graphic novel From Hell by Alan Moore. It was made into a film with Johnny Depp in 2001. There have been mini series based on this, but there is an enduring theory that the Ripper was a member of the royal family's staff and they assigned the blame with Sir William Gull who was the physician in ordinary to Queen Victoria. Very talented, brilliant man, big advocate for women's places Mm -hmm. in medical profession. He fits the bill as a skilled doctor 
mm-hmm. and someone of high patronage. It was proposed, if you want to go down that big story route, that Prince Albert had fallen in love with a common girl, Annie Crook. They had had a child together. She was pregnant. They had maybe married in secret. Some say that Mary Kelly the final victim, was a witness. When the royal family found out, Albert was taken away. Annie was also committed to a mental asylum and was effectively lobotomised to shut her up. But Dr Sir William Gull stepped in to do away with all the women who were linked to Annie or who knew of the union. But they were killed in a Masonic ritual as a nod to the royal family who were members of the Freemasons... (laughs) And they did it as a ritual to try and throw people off the scent. This is the basis for From Hell by Alan Moore. Very good graphic novel. Prince Albert as well in 1891 was said to be involved with a chorus girl called Lydia Miller who committed suicide by drinking carbolic acid. He wanted to live with her, it was said, but the scandal has been hushed up by the royal family and it wasn't the first, it wouldn't be the last. The theory of the royal family and Sir William Gull has been wildly debunked as too fantastical to make sense. Yeah. It's a juicy theory, if not a particularly solid one. But... How could have Jack gotten away with it? Quite possibly the perpetrator died shortly after his final act. Or maybe he continued committing terrible crimes. But what makes Jack the Ripper so compelling? What do you think, Nick? I have to say, despite my initial positivity that we were going to crack this this evening, not entirely sure that we have. I don't think there is some grand conspiracy. I think that the story of Prince Albert and that there was a conspiracy theory there is wonderful. Oh, it's a lovely story. I don't think it's true. How did Jack the Ripper get away with this? A lot of people got away with a lot of shit back then. There's a lot of dead people, a lot of people who weren't brought to justice. So I don't think it's beyond Mm. the realms of possibility. I think that's the key thing, is that people are really flummoxed by why did Jack the Ripper stop? Mm. Because of the nature of the attacks the gruesome elements of the attacks they are slightly ritualistic you know the Mm. the placing of the organs around the body maybe he had just chosen or she had just chosen a way to display their handiwork maybe they were sending a message maybe they were subconsciously going you know what if i do it in this way i've learned enough about the masons i'll try and implicate someone really in high office they weren't a mason themselves who knows who knows so what do you think, people? Who was Jack the Ripper, in your opinion? Do you think we have covered enough of this story? Would you like to hear more from us on Patreon? Send us a message. Why is Jack the Ripper so compelling after all of these years? Send us your suggestions. Comment on wherever you listen to this podcast. Tell us what you think of it. But more importantly, make up all of the cocktails all that we've made today. As you can tell, Sinead has enjoyed them greatly. I, I don't know where I am or where my hands are, Nick. It's all going horribly, horribly wrong. But they are a good bunch of cocktails. The recipes will be out this evening. For you to enjoy on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, wherever you are, have some eggnog. It's not half bad, actually. We love it. Send us your Christmassy pictures. We'd love to see them. We'll send you some as well. And make sure you're enjoying the festive season. Thanks for listening, guys. We have been the people inside the Poisoner's Cabinet. We will see you next week. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Bye.